Hey, Eli. Hey, what? Uh, why was the astronaut late for school? I don't know. Because he forgot his launch box. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Engaged Family Gaming Podcast. My name is Stephen Dutzman. I am your host, as always, and this is episode 206. I am joined today by two very special ladies. First, Amanda Farah, the Princess of Power. How are you? I'm much better now, but also Chocobo Mystery Dungeon. Yeah, well, I mean, that's video game stuff. We'll talk about that next week. You're getting ready for a PAX East panel, which is coming very, 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 very fast. It All, is. Uh, dare I say it rapidly. PAX comes at you fast, man. PAX comes at you. Yeah, listen. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And you know what? At least we don't go to PAX South because that's this weekend. Ooh, that's too much. Um, yeah, that'd be too much PAX. Also joining us is the board game editor for EngageFamilyGaming.com. That is Linda Robel. Linda, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. It's been like a million years since I saw you last Friday. I know. Um, <laughs> we never see each other anymore. Never. Days. We not yeah we never it's been it's been it's been fives of days um yeah well it's the we the, the weekly Dungeons and Dragons game um means that uh, Linda is bordering on sick of me um so <laughs> um I said bordering on Amanda doesn't like it when I use self deprecating humor so every time I make a joke like that she gives a look at the camera. She does. Um, she does a very good mom look. She does. She definitely gives I'm me a mom. So good look. at it. I have four children. <laughs> yeah. She definitely gives me a mom look, and I'm like, listen, lady, I'll do as I please, except when you give me that look because I know better. So, um, <laughs> this week is board game week, and so just following the pattern, last week we talked about the video games of the year, and so if you're interested in that, head on back to the feed and listen to Amanda and I chat about our favorite video games of the year. But today, we're all going to talk about our board games of the year for 2019. And man, there were a lot of good games that came out last year. True. There were lots. But we have four that we want to highlight. Um, I don't know why we picked four instead of five or six. I don't know. Four just sounded like a great number. Um, and we're going to go and talk about those four. Uh, but before we do that, I'd like to give just a quick reminder to everybody. We made a change on our podcast feeds. Instead of having a billion different podcasts all over the place throughout the internet, everything is on one podcast feed. So go to engagefamilygaming.com slash podcast and you'll find one feed where you'll find this podcast, which you're listening to right now, the EFG Daily Commute, and several other shows that will be coming out over the coming weeks that will involve me, maybe... Linda and Amanda and all sorts of other people. It's going to be crazy. And the EFG show. Can't forget the EFG show with me and Jeff. Um, so definitely give that a look. Subscribe, rate, share it with your friends, etc. It's a whole lot of fun. Now let's go around the horn. Linda, you and I went to the Manchester Public Library. We saw our friend Jen, the board game librarian. We did. And she had a special guest, Restoration Games, who... We'll talk more about them later, I suspect. But um, Lindsay Daviau of 
Restoration Games was there with a whole bunch of Restoration Games, and we played a bunch of them. Not Dark Tower, unfortunately, because they only have two of those, and they weren't going to bring one of them to the library. That's they could have, but I can I understand why they didn't. <laughs> um, so, fun fact, they have two of them, and they are both named after professional basketball players from the Houston Rockets in the 90s. Interesting. That's now, extremely esoteric. Super dorky. Um, but the reason for it is because the two guys played for the Houston Rockets and they were referred to as the Twin Towers. And you get it? It's the Dark Tower and there's two of them. So they call them the Twin Towers. I Pretty like good. it. Um, and so they were. So we didn't get a chance to play Dark Tower, but man, have I looked at the Kickstarter that launched today, which is Tuesday. And boy, is it oh, pretty. Yeah. Um, oh, not yeah. exactly for this audience because it's a bit chunky, but man, it's got a big old robot tower that stands in the middle of it and it's powered by an app and it's super cool. Linda, did you see it yet? I did not. It's been rather busy. We have mega meetings at work tomorrow, so I have not been on the interwebs for fun yet, except for logging in to talk to you lovely people. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for taking <laughs> uh, taking some time out of your crazy busy day. Um, I think it's worth – I think everyone who appreciates, like, interesting – like toys should take oh, a look yeah. at it because ultimately that's what it is. Like it's a board game, but like the, the, the tower itself is a cool toy. So it is worth watching a playthrough. I think the dice tower actually did a live playthrough with one of the prototypes today. Um, it's worth giving it a look. Just watch for five minutes just to see what it does. It is fascinating. Um, the, the opening Kickstarter, like to get the game is 125 bucks. So it's basically, well, it's just like Fireball Island. Fireball Island was right in there. So you have to be pot committed to go ahead and get that. But the good news is 125 does get you all the freebies and stretch goals. So they have an all-in pledge for like deluxe crazy stuff. But like if you just want the game and the inevitable mountain of stretch goals, because it's already funded at over a million dollars and it's been less than a day, then that's okay. You're still going to get a decent amount of stuff. So you also, for $10, can buy into the pledge manager, and then you can pay for the rest of it later. So that's something to think about if you are one of those crazy people and you just want another giant box on your shelf. Uh, I will not be doing that because I still have, I already have Fireball Island, and I don't know that I'll have that many people that will play Dark Tower with me um, unless your partner Mike buys it, at which point I'll just come play with him. I have It's looking very likely. <laughs> yeah. I, I had that feeling. Like I watched this and I was like, man, this is a Mike Footer game. It really it's definitely is. a Mike Footer game. And Under so me. immediately I said, if I'm only gonna play it once a year anyway, they may as well keep it in New Jersey. And then it made my life easier. So um I wish I could give people Kickstarter gift cards, because then I would just buy one for you and then I could help. Uh, uh, so good, anyway. Uh so we we played. We actually did play games. We didn't just complain internally about not being able to play Dark Tower. <laughs> they had all sorts of stuff. But Linda, before we get into the mountain of restoration games we played, we played another one that we didn't want to play, but the guy <laughs> made us play. Pretty much. He and, was desperately trying to fill the table. And it turned out to be the highlight of my day out of all the yeah. things that I played. And that was Echidna Shuffle. Amanda, have you heard of Echidna Shuffle? I have not. Have you heard of Echidnas outside of the fact that that's what Knuckles is 
first off, did you you knew Knuckles was an echidna, right? No. Knuckles from Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, are we? Do- well, okay, we're talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay, yes, yeah, I think so. I, I must super have. switched gears. Yeah, so Knuckles yeah, is did. an echidna. I got did a little you, confused. Did you know that echidnas are actual things? I barely no. did. Yeah, echidnas. That's why are... I wasn't able to. I wasn't able to make those things oh. live in the same universe. <laughs> okay, echidnas. They're not. From, they're not in Canada, so I can understand why. Actually, I don't know. Where are echidnas from? You're the teacher, Linda. Don't you know? I, I don't know. I I'm inferring it. It might be Australia based on a Twitter comment that was made to look. me. I'm gonna so, look. Well, while you're looking, yeah. the gentleman that was uh, teaching us the game told us that that Echidna Shuffle was voted the family favorite at Origins this past year. Really? So, that was what he told us. I have not fact checked that, so full disclosure. <laughs> um, I think it's true because that's how I had seen it before, and I knew it had won some kind of award that meant that it had to go on my radar. Uh, but I had never seen it, and I kind of forgot about it because, like, lots of games come out. Also, yes. I would forget my head. So, it is. It is. So, um, just to in, interject, uh, echidnas are found throughout New Guinea and mainland Australia, as well as Tasmania. So, okay. they're South Pacific critters. Also, they're found in the, in the Sonic the Hedgehog universe. And I'm sure they'll be in the Sonic the Hedgehog sequel that will be coming straight to Netflix. So, the um, echidna shuffle... There's no way that movie's not going to make enough money to get a straight-to-Netflix sequel. Because enough people are going to be curious. I promise. I'm not a betting man anymore. Nicole Tanner ruined that, but... <laughs> yeah, she did. Yeah. And you, ever, ever, if you need to, just listen to old episodes or ask me on Twitter. I'll tell you the story about how Nicole Tanner ruined my betting history. So, Echidna Shuffle. Linda, tell us... We, we didn't want to play this. He made us play. Tell us how it works. So, it is a pick up and deliver system and what's great is it's supposed to be for six and up but there's no reading it is zero reading at all so you are taking these little echidnas and you're moving them around a board that has leaves all over it and there are arrows to direct you so there's an there's a circle that goes around the perimeter of the board and then there are some interior circles that bring you in different directions okay and you each get a color stump and matching insects Okay. And the idea is you have to get, you have to go to your breed or your, I'm sorry, your feeding ground, and the feeding ground is represented by, I think was it a flower? It's like a flat. It's like or, a, it's like a disc that has a, a picture of the bug that's on. That's what it was. Of a bug on it. That's what it was. So you have to go to your feeding ground. Okay. So you have to get one of the echidnas. It does not matter which one. Then the board is full of them, to that specific leaf that has your bug on it. You can put a little plastic bug on it, and now you're trying to get that bug to one of your stumps. And of course, they are not strategically placed because other people place them for you. Or actually, they are of strategically course. placed, but not in your benefit. And so for a very simple game, it has a ton of strategy. You are rolling a die, and it's a two to seven six-sided die. Okay. And on the first time you roll, you move that many spaces, and you can move any echidna. You don't have to pick one and move it that many. You can move any echidna on the entire board. You can move one, that full amount of movement. You can move one, one space, one, one space. So you have a lot of freedom. The second round everyone plays, there's this little board that is the opposite part of the die 
for what you rolled the first time. So if you rolled a seven, your next time you only get two movement. Okay. If you rolled four, next time you get five. So it's the opposite side of the face of the die, essentially. So if you roll a seven, it's not like good luck forever. Basically, it means your next turn is going to be crappy. So it balances out that way. Then the other piece is you can move these echidnas, but they get in each other's way. Like, you can't move through another echidna. So, like, if there's one in your way and you need to move on, you have to move the other... You have to move the one in front, too. So, it oh. creates this crazy churn. I was and about it, to say, yeah, it seems kind of churny. And That's it good, looks though. really cool when it's happening. Like, it looks dumb when the board first gets set out, but once you see the game played, right, Linda? It looks yeah, no, cool. It, there was a lot more to it than it seemed like when it was just waiting to be played. Mm-hmm. It didn't draw us in when it was just sitting on the table, but as we got into it, there were five of us playing, and it was way more fun than I was expecting. And you know what? One of the guys that was playing with us, the first couple of rounds, he was on his phone the entire time. Like, he clearly was just doing this because the other guy wouldn't leave him alone. But after, like, turn three, he put his phone away. Like, he was in, and... um. It was. It really did grab everybody, and eventually, you know, it, the the winner was inevitable. Mm-hmm. That was my only real feedback. Is that eventually, and this is not. It's not like there was a runaway winner problem, but eventually, we just knew within the next turn or two who was going to win. Like we ran out of ways to stop them. Oh, but, got it. So, but it was still great. I mean, I finished dead last and I didn't feel like I was, I still was controlling the game and having fun. Um, It wasn't wasted effort. Yeah. I didn't feel like I was, I I was, uh, when the, when the stumps were put out, they were put out in such a way that the person who placed mine, oh, by the way, it was Linda who placed mine put place them in the absolute worst places for me. So I had the most movement to to go out of all of the five players. She like extra put the screws to me. Um but it was it was great. It was great. I still felt like I was having fun and the echidnas are so cute. I would encourage everybody to um go to Linda's Instagram and actually mine too. We both put up pictures of this game. They are so cute. It you really do love hacking cute games. Yeah. They're... The only thing that's good to know, though, people are, are interested, it is not on Amazon. Yeah. You got to go it buy it. It is not on the Amazons. You got to buy it direct from the manufacturer or on eBay. But retail's 30 bucks. That's which isn't not so bad. Not bad. Age is six and up. And I think, Linda, I heard somebody ask, somebody asked you on Twitter, and you um, had some feelings on the age thing. Yeah, I said... There isn't the reading, so in some ways it feels like it could scale down, but because of the strategy and the blocking and everything, I think it would be hard for a younger player to manage their that part of it. Like, they can get the motion and the, the rules are easy, but because, like, they may have a plan they're trying to do, and they it might be upsetting to a younger child. That was my only feedback on that. Got it. You know, like, could they play it? Sure. Would it be fun for them? It might not if they don't understand that somebody's going to be trying to thwart them. Mm-hmm. So if that was my thought, my thoughts on it. Yeah, I think that would be a challenge. Um, but yeah, little kids don't do well with that. No, because yeah. I mean, half of the game is 
kind of interacting with your opponents. You know, that, that's a big piece of it. So, but it is adorable. It's only $30 and it's about echidnas. I wanted to take one of the echidna figures and use it for Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know why, but it's like it would fit perfectly in a two by two square in a two by two grid. Um, I don't know what it would be. A giant echidna. That would be weird, but whatever. It was cool. Maybe Gretchen can have that as her familiar. She can have that as a yeah, she can have it as a as a mount. <laughs> it's a mount. Uh anyway. She'd love that. So that is um echidna shuffle. Uh Linda, you know what? The first game when I got there, I was like, Where's Linda? And um you were sitting down, you were playing Stop Thief. Yes. So uh tell us how that experience went. So that was a neat experience because I have played Stop Thief once before, but we played it cooperatively when I played it the first time. So this time we were playing competitively, which is the original way to play the game. Yeah. And it was nice also having somebody that was teaching it and coaching us. Sure. And I lost horribly, but um, it was a lot of fun playing co- uh, competitively. And it definitely has a completely different feel than the cooperative game. We still kind of were helping each other because there's so much remembering, trying to remember the clues, trying to remember the information because it's all auditory. So you don't have any visual reminders. So we were, you know, okay, we heard this because it's all the app-based clues on where the thief has moved so you might hear a door open you might hear footsteps inside you might hear footsteps outside you might hear a window break you might hear them commit a crime so if a couple things had happened we might be kind of rehearsed like okay we heard this then we heard you know we heard the door open then we heard two sets of footsteps then we heard another door and start kind of brainstorming where they were even though we were competing so it was interesting at least with our group it almost became semi-co-op as we played unintentionally i mean we still were definitely competing that's delightful it was it was delightful and these are i sat down with a group of four people i had never met and it was very pleasant it was we had a lot of fun with it so and that's stop thief what's crazy about it is that game has had a, a number of like updates that have all come through just updating the app it's like one of the first board games that i've encountered that has kind of been able to be changed like that. I mean, normally, in order to get an expansion to a board game, like you have to buy more chits or another book or another board. In this case, they just push an update and it gets more stuff. Mm-hmm. That's true. Right after I got the game, it, when I first acquired it, it was only competitive. And since then, they had pushed the update to make a cooperative version. And that happened to be what we played first, but... It's just really neat to see it change again, just digitally, yep, and change the gameplay. That's and they really ha- interesting. Um, they have it set up so that the what I really like about the board or the app rather is if you can find an old copy of the game, you can play on the classic board using the app because the classic board is different, but they coded the classic board into the app, which that's is really cool. Which is awesome. Uh, so that's Stop Thief. I played some Unmatched. Now, yeah, you did. Uh, I am going to talk a little bit more about Unmatched later on <laughs> because that's one of our games of the year. I guess spoilers, <laughs> whatever. It's my show. I can spoil it. Sorry, guys. So the expansion that I played is actually not out yet for Unmatched, and so 
I'm limited on what I can talk about. I found out that I was limited on what I can talk about retroactively. So I'm glad that I found out before today because I was a, my plan was to just blow it all out. But I will say this much. The expansions to Unmatched, have now that I have played several of them, prove that there is so much design space in that game that I suspect that the Unmatched line is going to go on for a very, very long time. I said something similar when I was sitting down to play it um, last month. Yeah, it's there is a lot of room, and it admittedly, I haven't played 100 games of every character. You know, I'm, I, I'm not crazy, but this is one of those games that I think that the three of us are going to be talking about and talking about expansions and posting pictures of, etc. for years to come. Unless something weird happens. Because the, man, the, the expansion that I played, and I will talk about it probably in a couple of weeks when they allow me to do so, is uh, was with some characters that I never would have expected to be in this game. And the character I played is one that you would never expect me to enjoy playing. And I played it. I think I know what some of these are because I've seen... I did a little bit of beta testing with a, another friend of mine who was beta testing for um, yeah. for the game. So yeah. we'll exchange notes, friend. Yeah. This this is just one of those... Man, we're going to be talking about Unmatched for a long time. Uh, so I want to do a so another Around the Horn piece to talk about. Um, and this is less about the games. Because you know what? What other game did you play... Linda, while you were there, did you get a chance to play any of the other games that were up there? Did you actually make it to the Downforce? I didn't. I was watching a little bit of one of the Downforce games being played, and then I was going to play next, and then we got pulled into a kid in a shuffle, and then I had to leave because I had another obligation. So unfortunately, I only played two games, but I got to watch and check out quite a few. The Downforce um, expansion that I was looking at is the one where they have ramps on the game board, which was very cool. And I was talking to the person that was teaching it a little bit just to get an idea of how that works. So it has to do with your movement cards. You have to have enough movement to make the ramp to get onto the other side. And there are numbers on the ramp. So if the ramp says four, you need to have at least four available movement to get up and over the ramp. So what happens if you don't have enough movement? You just fail to go up the ramp? I think you just can't even attempt it. Oh, all right. I, that was my understanding. But again, I was getting just a quick, right. you know, quick little update. Downforce but it looked very neat. Downforce is so good. Amanda, have you played Downforce yet? I have not, no. Uh, we have it, but I haven't played it. I think you would like it. The cars are the best part, really. The other thing that I really like about it is that you can use the uh, Mario... Uh, figures from the Mario Kart Monopoly in place of the the cars. And That's pretty okay. The Board Game Geek community has almost considered buying the Mario Kart can you call them figures, miniatures, whatever, the Mario Kart characters from Mario Kart Monopoly? Mario Kart or Monopoly Go Mario Kart is the game. Okay. They almost consider that like a deluxe upgrade. <laughs> like, it's, it's kind of how it's being referred to. That's it, really cute. It's the equivalent of buying, like, custom meeples for your Lords of Waterdeep game or something. Um, That's fair. And it it is so good. And 
it's for, considering its simplicity, it is way more complex than it should be. And man, is it fun to mess with your friends because when you're playing a race car, when you're playing a racing game, the idea is you want to move. And this game is really about blocking. Mm-hmm. Like downforce is really about strategically impeding your friend's movement. And that is again another game that would be great, but I suspect that even if younger kids could play it, it would just make them mad because you just your job is to get in their way. There's also all the maps are designed with these choke points where the you just want to get into it and then deny your friends the ability to move. And it's just so subtle and cool, and the maps look absolutely gorgeous. The map with the ramps on it looks so cool. Just the the colors and everything like that. I definitely recommend Downforce to just about anybody. And this expansion looks like, I mean, it looks like it's one of many that are on the way. That's awesome. That's another they can keep growing. Yeah, oh, there's plenty of design space on that one. I do want to talk a little bit about Dungeons & Dragons in that... There is a new ex- there is a new source book that was just announced yesterday based was, on yeah. um that is based on the Critical Role campaign which yeah. is a podcast that is by no means appropriate for children um however I know that because I started listening to it and they certainly cuss a lot um because it's a bunch of grown-ups playing Dungeons and Dragons but what's really interesting about it is it is a campaign source book that is entirely based on a podcast. It's really interesting. Which is, it's crazy how this podcast has grown into a phenomenon and to the point where it's going to have its own animated series and things like that. Again, the podcast itself isn't appropriate for kids, but the book itself certainly will be. And it looks like it's going to be a really interesting Dungeons & Dragons source book with a new kind of magic and classes and, like, a whole new world. So for folks that have been... this, We'll talk about it more on the Dungeons & Dragons podcast that I'll be publishing on this very feed with uh, Mr. Rob Kalajian within the coming weeks. Uh, it It's going to be... This particular world is one that is... It's sword and sorcery, but there's a lot of different flavor to it that I think uh, will be a welcome addition to people that are just ready for sword and sorcery, but not Tolkien's stuff because everybody's a little different and it looks, the art just looks absolutely stunning. So that's that. And it's called uh, the adventure's guide to wild mount. Is it wild mount or wild mount? It's wild mount, right? Uh, I think it's Wild Mount. I'm gonna yeah. say Wild Mount because there are no cops, and even if I'm wrong, um, no one's gonna no one's gonna beat me up. Um, although that's probably not necessarily true. There, the the critters, as they call themselves, are a rabid fan base. So if you are one, feel free to correct me. Uh, I don't know. I've listened to three episodes of the Critical Role, and there's several hundred. So give me a little bit of a break. Um, so yeah, that's that, that's some games. We talked about a kidna shuffle, stop thief. We talked about some downforce, and I reported on some news. Uh, by the way, a Magic the Gathering expansion comes out this week. Randomly, didn't we just have that? Um, every three months is an expansion, and this time it is uh I don't know, it's something in Theros. It's all about Greek mythology, so lots of you know hoplites and. You know, the underworld, it's way darker than the Grimm's fairy tales, which is interesting because Grimm's fairy tales are really dark. This is a, a little bit darker because it's, you know, creatures of the underworld, etc. I'll be talking about that on a Magic the Gathering podcast that will be launching <laughs> on this very feed 
on launch day for uh, the actual um, Magic the Gathering set. I think it's something, Some I don't know, I can't remember, it's Theros. I've been playing, you know, I'm ready to, I have packs ready for me to open an MTG Arena, and they won't let me. More appropriately, they won't let Maggie, because she opens all my packs. So, why don't we take a break, (laughs) and then we will come back and we're going to talk about our four board games of the year for 2019. How's that sound? That sounds great. Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back, folks. everybody this is steve i'm the host if you like listening to this podcast you probably like some of our other content too you can find that all over social media so make sure to head over to facebook.com slash engaged family gaming perhaps you might like to see some stuff on twitter by going to twitter.com slash e-f-g-a-m-i-n-g or maybe you just want to head on over to instagram and look for engaged family gaming there see you later guys bye now Welcome back to episode 206 of the Engage Family Gaming Podcast. This is Steven and Amanda and Linda. We are all back. Neither of them left me. And we are here to talk about our board games of the year for 2019. Lots of good stuff came out, but four games really stood out for us. And I thought we would just kind of go around and talk about them. Linda, why don't you get started? Okay. So, of all of the new releases, um, typical to my genre that I go towards, I tend to like the light family games. So, there was one that came out when I first saw it at Toy Fair. I was very hyped for it, and that is Sushi Roll. Uh, Sushi Go has been a favorite in our house for several years now, and Game Right has put out a new game based on the same concept, but reimagined with dice and it's got conveyor belts and tokens and a menu board, which I believe is a from the Sushi Go Party. I think so, yeah. Um, which I don't have, so I, that one little detail I'm uncertain of. But we've got you've got your menu and everything. And so what it is, the original Sushi Go is all cards. There's nothing else to the game. In Sushi Roll, you have a bag of dice. And the dice are all the same sushi pieces that were on the cards in the previous game. And you draw a certain number, depending on the number of players, and you put those on your conveyor belts, and you take turns um, selecting off your conveyor belt. And the belt moves to the next person. It literally is a rectangle to look like a conveyor belt, and it travels to the next person. You just slide it across the table. And then you pick up your dice, you roll them again, and then you select. So it's not the exact same die rolls all the way around the group, which is a neat twist. The other big change that I thought was really fascinating, one conveyor belt has a red border, and that indicates the first player for that selection. Because there are things you can do. You can swap dice with a player. You can re-roll things. So you need to have people go one at a time. With the card game, you select simultaneously so it yeah, does exactly. play down 
just a little bit. It still moves very fast. The game we played five player over the weekend with some of the little kids and some bigger kids and some grown-ups and we it, we played it very quickly because everyone was familiar with Sushi Go and I taught them the changes. Um, but it was just it's just so fun. It's nice and light. Having the board, it's easier to know what you're scoring because the menu that you get, the the cardboard um, board everyone gets, tells the score for each sushi. And you know what you need. You know if you need two of it, you get five points. If you get three of them, you get eight points or whatever the scoring is. And so it's in front of you. And to the point that if I played the card game again, I think I would take these menus out and use them with the card game just because the scoring's in front of you. Okay. It's not that memory piece. It's so helpful. And there are scoring tokens. So as you finish around, you can use the tokens to keep track. So it's just really, really, really cute. Um, I like how they took a game that's really popular and it's just a fantastic family game. And they, I feel like they brought it to another level by adding the dice and the other components of the game. So. Yeah. Um, I agree with everything Linda just said. I, to add two points to it, the the big changes are by ta- by changing everything from cards to dice. Number one, you can see everything. There's less hidden information uh, because you know what dice are on all of your competitors' uh, conveyors, so you know what's mm-hmm. coming to you next, and you can use that to help inform you. You also know what you're passing. And you don't have to remember. So it, for me, who I, I definitely have issues with short-term memory while playing board games, the uh, it certainly made it easier for me because I know what you're passing to me and I know what I have passed to my opponent and it, 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 it there's more information as opposed to just dealing with a hand of cards. Because sometimes right. you can be drafting cards and it just gets out of control because you forget one detail and then that might kind of pile on with other small mistakes whereas here you don't have to worry about that you know what's coming there's less of a surprise the other piece is the fact that these dice are dice in- introduces a range of outcomes to every die that you might choose so you know that you're being passed a nigiri but you don't but it may be 3 or 1 uh, and you don't necessarily know that. You just know that you're getting a nigiri. And that, so even though you know what you're getting, there's still a range of outcomes depending on the dice. And I think that does add a, a little bit of a layer to it. I know some folks might complain that adds too much randomness to them. And it, I mean, if, if you see dice in a board game and you hate it, then you're not going to like sushi roll. <laughs> but you're probably not yeah. buying dice games anyway. However, True. Um, if you can if you can stand dice... And like Sushi Go, I think Sushi Roll is absolutely worth a shot. Game Right does good work. And I think Sushi Roll absolutely deserves a place as one of our board games of the year. Um, Amanda. Yes. You brought up a game, and at, at first you protested, because you're like, you know, I've talked about this game a bunch. And I, I was have. like, no, you have talked about it, but that's because it should be one of our games of the year. Because you really, really liked it. So why don't you tell us about your entry? Okay. So my entry for Game of the Year this year is something that I checked out when I was at Gen Con. 
Um, it's called Noctiluca. So we talked about it after I got back from Gen Con. We talked about it after PAX Unplugged because I picked it up at PAX Unplugged and I was just so excited about it. And I, like, you know, we, we've brought it home, played it with the kids a couple times. And so the, the overarching thing about Noctiluca is it's, it's essentially, uh, it's a strategy game, right? Like it's a strategy game where you are a deep sea diver and you're picking up pretty jellyfish. So you have a bunch of dice. It's reminiscent of Sagrada, I suppose, with, you know, you're collecting pretty dice mm -hmm. to fill up your various jars full of uh, pretty looking jellyfish. Yeah. So you choose a path to go because the way that the board is set up is you have a number of different beaches and once you've placed a meeple on a beach, it's, you claim that beach for yourself. And then you choose a direction and a number of, okay, I'm going to pick up all of the threes or I'm going to pick up all of the sixes. And you are, where the strategy really comes in is making sure that you are picking up the colors that make that, like, your favorite color that only you know about. Because you you know you're not revealing that to other players. You're just looking at it yourself, and so the other players are like, okay, should I just, like try to block this player from getting purple dice or green dice or whatever based on how many they're picking up, or based on what kinds of jars they're drawing from the deck? Um, so once you once you've got all of your all of your dice and everybody has what they need, if you have extras, you have to pass it along. So if you are not strategic and you're picking up too many extras of a certain color, you got to pass it to the person to the left. So, you know, don't do that too often <laughs> um, because you're just going to end up helping helping your buddies, even though you don't want to. It's not a it's not a hyper competitive game, but it is competitive. So at the end of you play two rounds like that, where you go through and you find your beaches and you claim them and say, OK, I'm going to pick up this however many dice and fill up your jars and at the end of the game you end up scoring the jars and you end up scoring the amount of coins that you've collected as a result of finishing those jars because so you can collect coins from um i don't know some mysterious coin monger <laughs> <laughs> sure deep sea coin monger i don't know uh, maybe you're turning in your jellyfish and you're getting paid for it uh, i don't know i think it's just because it's a game yeah, right? it's like, a game. Because you need it's, you need a thing to do the thing. You need a thing. Absolutely. So yeah, it's it's a really it's a really interesting low low impact strategic game that's extremely cute and approachable. I loved it when I saw it at Gen Con. I loved playing it when we like a couple of times when we were at PAX Unplugged. It is just such a delightful experience. And I love strategy games that get people into the game. And that make them that ensure that they feel really good about the experience. So, absolutely. So that's Noctiluca from Plat Hat Games. Yes. I have not played it. I am looking forward to playing it. I suspect that I will have an opportunity to do so at some point in the future. So. Um. So my turn. I wonder uh, what it's gonna be. Um. I'm gonna talk about Unmatched. So. Uh, spoilers, I guess. I already talked about that. So, 
Okay, Unmatched. It's from Restoration Games. It is a card-battling dudes-on-a-map game using characters from across pop culture and classic literature. Did I... Like, is that the, the elevator pitch? Did I get there? Yeah, kind of. And so far, it's all... It, uh, for, so far, it's all pop culture and classic literature. So the the base game includes... Um, Sinbad, Alice in Wonderland, so Alice, and yeah. Merlin, and who's the fourth one? Mm, and, a, uh, and a fourth one remember. that I really want to remember, but I can't because I can't. And the first expansion was Robin Hood and his Merry Men versus Bigfoot. And, now, and they also have a Bruce Lee expansion and a Jurassic Park expansion, and they've announced a Buffy the Vampire Slayer expansion, which is mm-hmm. not like the... And, and it's literally... Because Mondo, the company that's working with them, has the license for, like, actual Buffy and the Vampire Slayer, like the UPN show, and, like, the TV show, and that was on UPN. But anyway, that was a long time ago. And it is... I got a little bit of a, a, a preview of what some of the art looks like. And it's going to be very pretty and cool. And it, and there's Bruce Lee, right? Like, this is just yeah. this is just absolutely crazy. Um, the first thing that I noticed was the art. And that's one of the first things I notice every time. People know that I'm kind of aesthetically focused, especially when it comes to games. This game has a very clean look to it. The characters all have their own unique two or three color palette. So you know... Okay that character and you can identify it just by without even from a distance you just know oh that's Alice oh that's Merlin and King Arthur and the and they all play very differently and they all have different objectives that make them good by the way it's uh Medusa in is the Medusa, other one Medusa that's right like for example Medusa her job is to kill you in one shot that's her deal she sets you up and then she kills you in one shot. Sinbad, he's a traveler and a voyager, so his job is he just runs around the map and he's just like, "Come and get me." I'm gonna, and he just eventually his movement just gets out of control. Um, the Sasquatch, who is my main, if I can call him my main, I don't know that there's really a competitive meta for this game yet. And that does not surprise me. Sasquatch is super OP. Um, I am Spike by the way. So, uh, the, and we'll talk about gamer types later. Um, but so Spike is me and Sasquatch, his whole thing is like, he's hanging out in the woods and then he like comes out and gets you and then goes back. Right. And so they all play so differently. That's one of the things when I was playing as these new characters in this new expansion that I'm not allowed to talk about. The character was all about like guessing things and figuring stuff out. And I would never suspect that I would be down with that so good though and it was awesome and so there's so much design space this is they're just going to keep and because of their association with Mondo they are uh, who has licenses for all sorts of stuff they're going to be able to keep making this stuff and also they have Mm -hmm. leaned into the uh, public domain right King Arthur and Merlin and Medusa these are there's plenty of stuff that's in the public domain that they can kind of mess around with, and so uh, I am super excited to see where they go. The miniatures are amazing. 
The art on the cards is great. All the characters are very well balanced. And it is both a one-on-one game, but you can also play it as a free-for-all. You can play it as teams. There's a lot of flexibility, and it is very easy to teach. Mm-hmm. You, you can take two actions. And you can either draw a card and move, or you can play a spell, more or less. You can scheme, or you can fight. That's it, guys. And yes, some of the cards are a little bit complex, but not really. Uh, this is way less complicated than, say, Magic. I'd say it's even less, less complicated than Pokemon. It's not, because you only have three things you can do, and you can only do two. Uh, so it is it is great. I loved it, and there is, from the moment I played it, I was like, this is going to appear on our Game of the Year list, and I'm not even a little mad about it. So that is unmatched by Restoration Games. Um, I guess I gotta go twice. I should have thought about this better because I was the one that bought the last game. Um, but Amanda, uh, you pl- all right? But I played it, so okay. you and I can both talk about well, it. We're both gonna talk about it. Linda's going to talk about it because I may or may not have a copy of this coming to my house. All of my ex- all of my time playing this game has been in other places. I've been playing other people's copies of this game. Oh. So I do not physically own it myself. However, the fourth game and our last of our four games of the year. It's Wingspan. Now, Woo-hoo! Wingspan is a game about birds. Yeah. And people on the internet like to complain about how its theme is kind of cheesy. And um, I, you know what I have to say to them? They can go lay an egg. <laughs> they can go lay an egg. Why okay. the prairies? So here's the deal. Uh, I love me an engine building game. Mm, like I love same. me an engine building game. Same. And if you don't know what that means, an engine building game is a game where you assemble components either by drawing cards or etc. And they all build off of each other, so they do stuff. And eventually the idea is you are building combinations of these different uh, game effects. And the reason I say game effects and not cards or whatever is because an engine building game, there's all sorts of them. You know, there you're is. building yeah. combos. So- Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Amanda, you well, have another to say. another fantastic engine building game that I got for Christmas this like last year last year most recent Christmas most recent Christmas uh, was Everdell and Everdell is an extremely adorable engine building game too and I love Everdell but it wasn't released in 2019 it was released in 2018 so not eligible but it is not cool and it, eligible. you got this cool tree that you build in that one we'll talk about right? Everdell. We'll, we'll talk about it another We're going to talk about Everdell when we're not talking thing, about though, it. The thing, though, is that, you know, that is an example of another spectacular engine-building game that isn't, you know, yeah. Scythe. Or um, my little Scythe. Yeah. Well, exactly. Engine-building engine games are all about kind of assembling combos yeah. and having either cards or other mechanisms kind of build off of each other. And with Wingspan, what you are doing is you are collecting birds – playing them into their appropriate habitats. So, for example, if you have a duck, you play the duck in the water because they like the water, whereas if you get a raptor, they're going to be, like, out in the fields, and then there are forests, etc. The idea is you are drawing these birds, which, by the way, the ca- the art on these cards is fantastic. They look like something out of, like, a bird-watching guide from the Audubon Society, even yeah, though, kinda. specifically, they are original pieces of art by actual artists, not sourced from... The Audubon Society, like these are original pieces of art, um, and beautiful. you draw these birds, and the idea is you're playing them out, and then you are feeding them, and as you play birds out into their uh, into their 
different habitats, over time you trigger their abilities and you you know using the rules and we'll it's very easy to learn but oh my goodness it's it seems like when you first sit down with it that it's going to be so hard yep and then you take a turn then you take a turn and you realize oh this game is shockingly approachable super approachable and so the idea is if you have three ducks in a row and three water birds because they're probably not all going to be ducks you might have like a goose and a swan and a duck they trigger all of their abilities in a row one after the other and so some of them might be I lay an egg some of them might be you're able to turn an egg into food or whatever and the idea and there's one that's a pelican and the pelican eats other like eats other more it's not the pelican pelicans it's not what I'm talking about there's no no, um, I know exactly what you're talking about there's a bird that eats other birds and so you draw the raptors they draw birds off the top of the deck and rather than putting them into your hand you put them under the raptor and they're worth victory points later yeah they don't count for the same amount of points because all of the different birds have different point values on them depending on you know how big they are or how rare they are uh-huh. or where they live and if you get a bird like um like a raptor of some kind or there's also a water bird can't remember what the heck the name of the water bird was but i actually ended up doing this with a couple of different birds and a couple of different biomes i had a water bird that i could just store birds underneath yep um but that was for flock that was for flocking so flocking is a little bit different than hunting but it has it's the same general mechanic. So yeah. there are just some birds that hunt other birds and there are other birds that call flocks of other birds to them. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like it should not work. This game should not be fun. It should be cheesy, but it's amazing. All the hype is real. Now, it di- there man was there so much drama about this game for no reason. But I know. It's and part of it was because the discourse was upsetting. Well, the di- I have learned that discourse is upsetting. Like, they should sell t-shirts that just say the discourse is upsetting. And yes. maybe we should sell them. I bet you that if, if it I'll wasn't... Yeah, it, <laughs> who wouldn't buy that t-shirt? So, the... Uh, I mean, the issue is Stonemeyer Games makes good games. And Wingspan came out and they didn't make enough because no one on Earth expected a game about bird watching to blow up the way that it did. And then they just didn't have enough copies. And unlike video games, where if you can't find a physical copy, you can just buy it on the eShop, board games, like, if you can't find the box, you can't play the game. It's just, I mean, it's an unfortunate reality of board games. So the you know, that ended up being the problem. The problem is that there was too much demand for the game, and then just people got angry and decided that it was overhyped. And I want to tell all those people, um, not true, in fact. It is not overhyped. It meets. It met my expectations. I knew it was going to be a great game, and in fact, it was a great game. So much so that we put it on our list of board games of the year. And how could we not? It's a gorgeous game, and it actually has an educational element to it because all the cards have neat little fun facts about birds on them. In fact, I believe that the number one house rule that needs to be added to Wingspan is you may not play a bird into a habitat unless you read the fun fact. You know, I love that idea. You I'm have to steal that. Have to, uh, it's not even stealing. I'm giving it to you for free. You can just have it. It's not even okay. stealing. Because they all have, cause, and that's the other thing I really like about it is that they have like interesting little factoids about all of these 
billion birds and there's already been an expansion because of course there is i mean that happens with board games that are wildly successful but it is a lot of fun it is gorgeous to look at it is very accessible if there was one criticism is that it can be a little bit fiddly in that you have your tableau and there's stuff moving around and there is a lot of reading so you know this is not for early readers but you know what man they can just look at the pictures just just let yeah. them look at the pictures and enjoy it because, man, it is so beautiful. Linda, I know you haven't played this game. Not yet, only because I couldn't get my hands on it. I know. It was really difficult to get our hands on it as well. Um, we picked it up. Where did we pick it up? PAX West, I think. Yeah. That's where we ended up picking up Wingspan. And that was and... probably the only copy on Earth. It's been hard to find. No. Strangely enough, we found it at our favorite vendor on the sixth floor where all, like, all the great like board games and you know mid-tier video game developers and publishers hang out um it is the best floor sixth floor is best floor um the fact that there's six floors of pax at pax west terrifies me um i can barely handle two at pax east um my feet are already killing me thinking about pax about how pack linda i just found this out today pax east it just never occurred to me pax east is the weekend after toy fair Oh boy! I'll come in to meet you guys for lunch. I'm not doing Toy Fair this year, so. <laughs> so I mean, yay! But my feet are already killing me. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. I don't know. Get some good orthotics. Yeah, something. I'll talk. I'll talk to John. I'm sure your husband has some suggestions. Um, yes. Yeah. So, anyway, I picked. I picked it up at Pax West, and anyway. it was. It was still the hotness, and it was gone by the end of the first day. Yeah. Like it was gone, and it was. It was Friday. Yeah. So. I mean, we just lucked out because the sixth floor is usually where Mike and I go as our first stop because that's where all, you know, a lot of our indie friends are and, you know, that's where all the good stuff is. So we mosey on up to the sixth floor. We're like, Wingspan! Very excited. There's a lot of shouting. Pitter patter of feet racing over to get it. As we did. Yeah. I was just like, no, take my card. Shut up and take my money. Take it all. I'll give it all to you. I just want Wingspan. Get here. Listen, yeah. that you you got I mean, it's lucky. It's so hard to get right now. Yeah, it's, it is. Like 120 yeah. right now on Amazon, which is so hot. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah don't do that. Yeah, don't do oh, that. Oh no, trust we me, wait. it's not coming that way. Yeah, we'll wait. We just we just gotta wait until it arrives. So, um, everybody, those are our four board games of the year. I think they are worthy entries. All great games. I can't wait to play Noctiluca. Um, because it is so pretty. You know what it reminds me of is lanterns. Uh, just from the color scheme, but I know that it's not exactly like that. It's just the color scheme reminds me of that at first glance. I'm not. Uh, listen, that's not what I was saying. I'm saying it looks like it. I know it is but not. No, it's gonna. It's really, really interesting though, and I'm really glad that you made the the reference to lanterns. Um, because it reminds me of lanterns dice. Ooh. All right, everybody. So this has been episode 206 of the Engage Family Gaming Podcast. This is me and Amanda and Linda. We talked about our favorite board games of the year. And we're going to be back next week for video game time. Amanda, man, do we have some stuff to talk about. We got some video game stuff going on, guys. But 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 how about this? Uh, I would like to say, uh, at the very least, we got a Smash character we can talk about next week. Heck yeah, we do. And, um, and, and maybe, do we need a business consultant next week? Do we need to, like... Oh, oh, we have one. We have a business expert that's going to be there. You, you, Amanda, you're here. Cause, me. Because, man, I do stuff. we got, like, stuff to talk about because, man, video games happened this week. So, 
Uh, I hope you guys had a great day. And and, um, I hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast as much as the three of us enjoyed recording it. But before we go, I have one last favor to ask. Everyone knows somebody that needs to listen to this podcast. You may not know you know them, but you do. Think about it and get this link, engagefamilygaming.com slash podcast, and throw it to them on Messenger, share it on your Facebook page, tweet it out, do what you got to do. We would like to grow our audience because we're going to be putting out a lot of great content in 2020, and we want more people to see it. So do us a favor there and help us out. Until next time, don't forget to get your family game on. Bye. Bye. Music for the Engaged Family Gaming Podcast is Android Sock Up by Kevin McLeod and audio production by Six Pack Nerds Productions.